0: Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources.
1: If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with us to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. That'll be our scripture for the morning. That's John chapter 20, verses one through 18. And this is what it says. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. But then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet and they said to her woman why are you weeping and she said to them they have taken away my lord and I do not know where they have laid him having said this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus and Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking and supposing him to be the gardener she said to him Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. But Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them that I am ascending to my father and your father to my God It's your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word.
0: Amen. Some of you will know that my wife, Cheryl, has been an elementary school teacher all of her adult life and that she spent most of her uh, time as a teacher in public schools she tells me that one of the most difficult parts of her work is managing the shame that some of the kids she works with inevitably feel, particularly in seasons like this one when others are coming back and, and the students are all coming back from spring break. And inevitably, as they come back, and they'll come back this Tuesday, there will be children who talk about their trip to the beach, or here, or there, or wherever, and there will be other children, more than you think, who have never seen the ocean, who have never spent time on a beach. Cheryl used to ask kids, what did you do during spring break? Where did you go as a way of engendering conversation and helping them to engage with the rest of the class? She doesn't do that anymore. She found inevitably that when she asked that question, uh, there would be some kids who simply out of shame would lie and make up stories about where they'd been, and Cheryl would know they'd never been there. There would be other kids that when she would ask would slink down in their chairs and say, all I did was watch TV, which is a hard act to follow when when the child before you says, oh, we always go to Disney. We always go to Disney. None of us are strangers to shame. None of us uh, are are, uh, without a recollection of shame. All of us live with shame at some level. Shame is a universal experience. It has been since Adam and Eve uh, believed the lie that somehow they could improve their perfect life by doing what God said they should never do. When they did, the couple who had never known what it was like to be ashamed Became riddled with it. And they began covering up and they began uh, uh, hiding what they'd done and who they had become. We've been doing the same ever since as human beings. Shame is one of the most powerful forces at work in our lives for this very reason. And the hiding and the covering that shame inevitably brings to us derails lives and often destroys them. It, it destroys and, and unsettles relationships and families. One of the things, though, that we can miss in our celebration of the resurrection of Christ, which is why we are here this morning is that the resurrected Christ is the one who brings the only real cure for our shame. And there's no story like this story, no story like this story of Jesus and Mary in the garden to help us see just how he cures our shame. Now, we could spend time this morning looking more deeply at verses one to 10 and how it was that Mary was the first to get to the tomb and how she was coming to finish preparation of Jesus' body for burial. We could examine how she assumed that thieves had stolen the body and how she ran to tell Peter and John and they rushed back and found what she found, but saw more than she saw. They saw valuable spices and linens left along uh, and alone that no thief would ever have left there. They saw grave clothes that no true disciple of Jesus carrying him away would have taken off simply out of respect. They saw grave clothes lying just as they would would lay with a body in them, except that the body wasn't there. These facts left Peter wondering and John believing, the Bible says, and Mary still weeping. The men go home, but Mary stays. Spices in hand with no body to, to prepare. She stays. She weeps and she keeps weeping. Why? That really is the question in, behind this story. Why? Why is Mary weeping? In the original language, the word for weeping here is wailing. Why is Mary wailing? This is the question behind our story that demands an answer. It's curious to me. If you look at verse 13 and then look again at verse 15, this is the question the angels ask of Mary. Why are you weeping? It is the same question that Jesus asks of Mary. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? I think that the angels and Jesus are asking these quest- this same question trying to accomplish two things. What they want Mary to do is to think about why she's weeping and why she's grieving and to think about what she has actually lost. At the same time, they're preparing Mary to be set free of both her tears and her losses. Now, I want to say to you this morning that the only way really to begin to understand this story and Mary's tears on Resurrection Day is to understand Mary's story behind the story. Mary's story, like yours, like mine, is a story of shame. Hers is perhaps more extreme than yours and mine, but Mary's life is in so many ways really a composite of all of our lives. And when you and I understand Mary's story behind our story, it's then that we begin to understand the resurrection and why it is For those who do understand it, a real celebration. Mary is wailing and Mary is grieving, not simply because she has lost the life of her favorite teacher or her favorite master or rabbi. Mary is weeping because in losing Jesus, she's lost the life she thought she would never have. Here's the story behind the story. Luke tells us in Luke 8 verses 1 and 2 that Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, the 12 disciples. And also, Luke says, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, including Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons, Luke says, had been cast out or had gone out. Now, what this means is that Mary before Jesus was, there's no other way for me to put it, Mary before Jesus was a shameful mess. She was Mary the mess. That she had seven demons inhabiting her means that she was completely overwhelmed by the presence of evil in her. Evil spirits took her, they used her, and they were slowly destroying her. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that such people were often afflicted with with physical ailments, with patterns of acting and speaking in bizarre ways in public, sometimes half-dressed. They were afflicted with all kinds of destructive behavior. They would do damage to themselves and they would do damage to others. And so Mary was a person who was literally being destroyed physically and spiritually and emotionally. And here's what I want you to see. Not only was Mary a mess, but she was the mess everybody else saw and everybody else knew. Being demon-possessed, of course, doesn't mean that you don't know what's going on or you don't know what the demons are doing to you. What it actually means is you do know, for the most part, what's going on and you do know what's being done to you and you do know that others know about you. Mary knew that everyone else knew. So she was living a life of deep public shame. What I find striking is is this, that the extremity of her condition meant that whereas most of us find ways to hide and cover the things of which we are ashamed, Mary had nowhere to hide, no way to cover because of the extremity of her condition. And so, no doubt, Mary was seen and Mary saw herself as worthless and unworthy and unwanted, and irredeemable, and absolutely hopeless. And no doubt she heard the comments, the whispers. She felt the condemning looks, the the public mockery. She knew the isolation, the alienation, and the humiliation of being less than she could have been and doing worse than she should have done. Just like you, just like me. Extraordinary burden of being less, and doing worse than we should have done. And to the questions that all of us ask about ourselves, there were clear answers ready for Mary and they came from the people around her and they came from her own heart. What am I worth? Nothing. What love can I expect? None. Who wants me? Nobody. Who am I? You're an unfixable failure. That's who you are, Mary. Let that sink in. That was Mary's life. Worthless, unwanted. Mary, the mess. But then, Jesus came. And he did for her what no one else would do. And he did for her what no one else could do. Luke tells us he found Mary and he met her right where she was and Jesus healed her. And what is more, and this is amazing, is Jesus is going through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He had Mary and other people with him traveling with him who were living proof that what he was announcing was true was actually true. But what is even more incredible to me is that Jesus invited Mary the mess to come into his life and into his ministry. He did not keep her at arm's length. He welcomed her in. He welcomed her in. He cared for her in her pain. Invested time in her. Everything Mary had ever wanted and everything she thought she'd never have, she found unexpectedly in this Jesus. And, And do you see, do you see, this is Mary after Jesus. Mary the mess that couldn't be fixed became Mary the miracle that couldn't be explained. Mary the mess that couldn't be fixed became Mary the miracle that couldn't be explained. And I I can just imagine, I can just imagine how the gossip would have run after Mary met Jesus. I can hear the whispers. I can hear the comments. I can hear people saying, have you you seen Mary lately? Have you seen? Have, have you seen what's happened to Mary? I mean, it's like she's not the same person. I never thought I'd see the day. Have you heard what's happened to Mary? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, but that was then John 20 is now. Jesus has been humiliated and Jesus has been crucified like a common criminal. And Mary's miracle and her new life are gone with his life. She followed someone now who has been called a rebel and crucified and hung up like a criminal and her shame is back. Her pain is back. Once again, Mary has no place to hide. She has no way to cover who she is. She has nowhere else to go. What happens next in the story is what matters most because I want you to see that the resurrected Jesus puts the Father's heart for every Mary who is a mess on display. For everyone who knows the grief of shame Jesus puts the heart of God on display. In other words, he puts the heart of God on display for you and for me to see. Because you and me, each in our own way, are Mary the mess, or Mark the mess, depending on your gender. So I will preach to Mark and Mary from this point forward you know who you are. Christ shows Mary and he shows us that something so very important, God doesn't shame us for our shame, but instead he shows us how he really sees us and what he has for us that actually takes away our shame. If I can show you that on this resurrection day, I will have succeeded in what I set out to do. Let's take a look at that together. Notice with me in verses 11 to 18. See with me briefly how Jesus finds Mary again, reveals himself to her, and then reveals Mary to herself, and finally chooses Mary one final time. Look with me at verses 14 to 15 and see how Jesus finds Mary. Now you'll notice that in these verses, Mary is looking for Jesus again in the tomb, and she finds two angels, and she is dissatisfied. Now, this is, this is amazing to me. She looks in the tomb, two angels there. She is unimpressed. That's not what she's looking for. She turns and then she finds someone that she thinks is the gardener. And this gardener poses the very same question that the angels just posed to her why are you weeping? And then he adds another who are you seeking? I think Jesus has got an ulterior motive, part of what he's getting ready to do. He's setting Mary up to be able to say to her, whatever you're looking for, whatever you're weeping over, ultimately, ultimately, it's not a dead me that's going to satisfy you. It's the living me. It's the living me. It's the living me. Everything your heart ever hungered for, everything your heart ever longed for ultimately is going to find its satisfaction only in me. She turns and Jesus asks her these two questions and she's still thinking about the body. Mary wonders if this gardener has taken the body and offers somehow to take it with her. And I'm thinking, Mary, 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 you are a mess. How are you, little Mary? Going to pick up that dead body, and what are you going to do with it? Are you going to pick it up and walk through town with it? They're going to go there. She goes again, crazy Mary. Have you seen what she's doing now? I knew it wouldn't last. I can hear their. I can hear their. Vo- I can hear the voices. Can't you hear the voices? I can hear the voice. Oh, I knew it wouldn't last. There she goes, crazy Mary, and this time she's carrying a dead body. She is hopeless. There is. It. Can you believe that? Hopeless. But notice, Mary is looking for Jesus, but it's Jesus who finds Mary. As much as she loves him, she's looking for the wrong Jesus. Her love may be great, but her understanding is way off. Mary is acting the mess again, as we all inevitably do. To her, Jesus is the wonder worker, the rabbi, the great teacher. Who was her healer and friend, and now he's dead. So, so, Jesus has to find Mary because Mary was never going to find Jesus, just like us. Jesus must find us if we're ever to have have a chance to see and know him as he really is. I will offer to you that that is the the testimony, that is the story of every true follower of Jesus. You were pursuing some other Savior, some other dead Savior who wasn't going to really help you. You weren't looking for the right Jesus. You were looking for the wrong Jesus. But by his grace, he showed up and he found you. That's the story of every true believer. And one of the greatest experiences of life is finding Jesus, finding you. Finding Jesus, finding you. God always has to take the initiative with us. Our minds are too small. Our view of him is too small. We are too distracted, too focused on our problems, too focused on ourselves to look up, to to see the God who is. But I want you to see the heart of God and the grace and the kindness of Jesus. I would have made a terrible Jesus. I, I make a great Mary, or Mark. Let the record stand. It was corrected. I would make a terrible Jesus. Because I wouldn't have done what Jesus did. I would have hidden from Mary. Or if I hadn't hidden from Mary, I would have corrected Mary. I would have given her a list of 198 things that she was doing wrong, and how could she be so blind, and how could she be so foolish after all the time she'd spent with me? How could she not recognize me when I'm standing right in front of her? I I know, I know. You're glad I'm not Jesus, because I would have been that kind of Jesus. Now, you wouldn't have, of course. I, I know, I know. But Jesus, I want you to see, doesn't hide from Mary. He doesn't correct Mary. He comes to Mary to be found by Mary. And once again, for the second time, he meets her where she is, as she is. He finds Mary so Mary can find him. Why? Why? Because while Mary may be worthless in the eyes of people, she's treasured in the eyes of God. And I want you to notice, she isn't treasured because of her performance. Her performance was awful. She wasn't treasured for how well she had done in the past or even in the present. She hadn't done all that well. The Bible teaches us that while we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there's something else about us that is also true, and that is that we've all been made in the image of God. The Scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And what that means ultimately and finally, friend, is that your worth and mine, our worth is determined by the God who made us, not by the people who see us. It's not based upon our performance. It doesn't rest on what we've done or what we haven't done. It doesn't rest in who we are or, or, or who we've been. It's actually anchored in the fact that God himself made you in his image and that fact never Changes Now, his image has been twisted. His image has been marred. We are not what we could have been because of our sin, but that doesn't change the fact that in the eyes of God, we were and are and reflect his very image and our worth before God, regardless of what people say. Our worth before God is static. It never changes. He sees us and he says, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are worth a great deal and precious to me every person every person without exception it does not matter what they've done where they've been every person without exception has value before the living God decides your worth. Christ answers Mary's deep question. What what am I worth? And what he's saying and what he will say in expanded form when she's ready is, Mary, you are worth dying for, you are worth rising for, and you are worth looking for. That's what you're worth. And suddenly, the shame begins to lift. Look with me, secondly, how Jesus reveals himself to Mary in verse 16. Jesus doesn't do, again, what I would have done. I've already confessed I'm a terrible Jesus. I'm a great mark. See, I fixed that. If I had been Jesus, I would have said to Mary when she saw me, I would have said, Mary, open up your eyes. Stop crying. You're wasting my time. I got things to do and people to see. Look. It's me! He doesn't do that. What does he do? What does he do? One word. One word. It's all it takes. He says, Mary. And she knows. And she sees who he is. Why? Well, Jesus has always said it best. He said, My my sheep know the sound of my voice. The truth is that his voice is the voice that we all long to hear. His voice is the voice that once you've heard it, you can never forget it. His voice is the voice of strength. His voice is the voice of gentleness. His voice is the voice of mercy and grace and healing. It was his voice that told the demons to leave. It was his voice that invited Mary to come and follow him. And now with this same voice, Jesus reveals himself to Mary so that what he has done before for her, he can do again. And it's in this way, in this moment, that he answers the question, who cares for me and who wants me? The world says nobody wants you. Christ says, I do. The Bible tells us that God chooses to love us and has done so in eternity past. What Mary doesn't know, but what she's going to learn is that his love is proven, not just in his finding and revealing himself to her, but in his cross where he died for her and died for her sins, where he died instead of her in her place as her substitute to atone for her sins. He's made the way for her to to have a right relationship with His Father, and all of this, all of this is a gift that proves the choice of His love. It's His own gift of His Son that, that actually makes us worthy of His great love. This is called grace. This is called amazing grace. And in Christ, I want you to see being loved is no longer a matter. Of being lovable. Being loved is no longer a matter of being lovable. Isn't that what we do to each other? We say, I'll love you if you're lovable. How many of you have ever said that? How many of you have ever lied? How many of you have ever lied in church? All right, all of you who have never lied in church, don't raise your hands. See, we we got some things happening right now. Truth is breaking out. That is, that is the common, the very typical human human approach to love. We say, I will love you if, or I love you because, or I'll love you when. Jesus never says that, never has, never will. In God's economy, love is given, it's never earned. God makes you worthy of his love by choosing to love you, improving his love on a cross and in a resurrection. Oh, and the burden of guilt keeps lifting. Notice with me in verse 17, how Jesus reveals Mary to herself. Here, it seems as if Jesus is being rude or unkind in a way. He says to Mary, don't cling to me. And I can just imagine Mary. She finally sees who it is and she does. And, And again, I'd make a really good To him. I mean, it is like suddenly all this weight, all this burden, all this defeat, all this hopelessness, all this shame have fallen off again. Jesus is back and she does what any normal Mary, Harry, Mark or Mary, or whomever would do, <laughs> clings to him and she said, I'm not going to let you go this time. I know what it is to be to be without you. I know what it is to be with you. And I know what it is to be without you again. And I don't ever want to be without you again. Never let you go. Jesus says, you got to let me go. Why? Because Jesus knows the new can't come while Mary's still clinging to the old. The new can't come while Mary's still clinging to the old. Some of you have been wanting a new life all of your life, but it's never come, why? Because you've not been willing to let go of the old. You will never know what Christ can do until you finally let go of the old and walk in to the new life that he has for you. So Jesus is not being rude. Jesus is not being rude at all. Jesus is giving Mary a gift here, and he's saying, Mary, let go. You've got to let go of the past if you're going to experience the future that I have for you. The first gift, really, that uh, Jesus is giving Mary is the gift of a new identity. You'll notice in verse 17 that he's not only helping Mary to know who he is, but he's helping Mary to know who she is. And he does it in, in the most curious way. The message Christ gives to the 12 disciples is, is a message Mary is supposed to take to them, but it's a message that's also for Mary. And here the greatest being in the universe says to Mary, this is who you are. You're loved, and I'm making you mine forever. And because you belong to me, you belong to my father, and you're rightly called, along with my brothers, a sister with other sisters, and you are now part of God's family. And so Jesus reveals to Mary her true identity, and he answers the question, who am I? And he says, Mary, you are loved, and you are mine and you belong. You're a child of God. Our world tells us you, you are what you do. Our world tells us you are what you've done. And there are some of you, when you look in the mirror every morning, what you see is what you've done. When you look in the, mor- in the, in the mirror every morning, what you see is who you think you are based upon what you do. Your whole identity is tied up in a mistake you made 20 years ago, the mistake you made last night, the thing you should never have done that you did and you cannot forget or move past. It defines you everywhere you go. Every time you see yourself in the mirror, that is what you see back. God in Christ says, you're no longer what you do or what you've done. Your identity is no longer actor or athlete, plumber, a professor, student, or school teacher. Your, your identity is not alcoholic or prostitute or liar or thief. Your identity is now set by who you, I say you are, and when you are mine in Christ, I call you son, I call you daughter. They may call you Mary the mess, I call you my daughter. They may call you Mark the mess, I call you my son. Your identity from now on and forever is child of God. That's who you are in Christ. And just when you thought it couldn't get any better, comes verses 17 and 18. Jesus calls Mary. As the story closes, we find that Mary is, is not only the first person to see and meet the risen Jesus, she's given the honor of, be, uh, uh, of beginning the greatest mission a person can have, to represent Christ, to represent him to the world, and to share his story with the world. I, am, I, I read this and I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus. I mean, do you see what's happening? How many of you went to elementary school? Bless your hearts, oh my goodness. Okay, I I don't know how you got a job. But okay, how many of you had the experience of being in elementary school where on the the playground they, they picked for teams? How many of you had that experience? How many of you found that to be incredibly painful? How many of you loved it because you were always picked first? (laughs) <laughs> we hate them, don't we? I mean, we just always pick first. So there you are, the, you know, the teacher, she's she's sick of everybody. So she's she's off on the edge of the playground and she says, "Now y'all pick teams." And you go through this painful process. Will anybody choose me? And if you get chosen first, it's like I'm king of the world. That's your problem, right? I'm king of the world. Nobody can defeat me. I'm the most popular kid in the class. I'm awesome, I'm amazing. But oh, the pain of going the other direction. They're choosing and they're choosing and they're choosing and you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till there's nobody else to choose. They go, well, okay, I guess we gotta pick Steve. Jesus doesn't pick Peter. Doesn't pick John, the disciple that he especially loved. He doesn't pick James. He doesn't pick Thomas. He doesn't pick uh, Andrew. The very first person he picks that he calls out is Mary. that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what will. Mary. Mary who never got anything right. Mary who never did anything right. Mary whose life was a mess. I knew you were listening. Mary. And Jesus in these last verses essentially looks at Mary and says, Mary, don't cling to me. Passes, passes a new day, but Mary, I've got word for you. Mary, I want you to know. I choose you. The world says you're irredeemable, that you're unfixable, that you're hopeless. Not me, Mary. See, in my, in my economy, nobody is irredeemable. Nobody is unfixable. Nobody is hopeless. I'm making you new, Mary. And to show you, I'm not only going to give you a new identity, I'm going to give you a new purpose in life. I'm going to give you a new mission in life. I'm going to give you a new reason to get up in the morning. I'm going to give you a new reason to walk through the day. I'm going to give you a life that is going to make an eternity's worth of difference forever. So here's how I want you to start. I want you to take this word and I want you to deliver it to those disciples of mine. You tell Peter and James and John and Thomas, you tell the whole crew that I'm coming, but I'm ascending. Things have changed and life is going to be different from now on. Friends, I want to tell you that the resurrection is a celebration because the risen Jesus still finds people. The risen Jesus still reveals himself to people. He still calls people by name. He still tells them who they are in the eyes of the one who matters most. He still calls people to be his, to do his work and to live a life that makes a difference. Jesus' cross and resurrection are the remedy for the shame we have because of our sins and our failures and our weaknesses. He's the only one who can fix what we see when we look into the mirror every morning. Yes, there are things that you should never have done. Yes, there are things you should never have been. But I want you to hear the word of Jesus he says to you I am your savior in in me savior meets shame in me grace meets grief and saving and and, 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 uh, grace win every single time in me you have a reason to look in the mirror and see a different picture Of who you are in me, you have the opportunity to see yourself as I see you. As a person of great worth, someone I love. Someone whose identity I have changed. And whose life direction I have transformed. It's when you understand that, that you understand why the resurrection is a celebration. Because I don't have to see what I used to see when I see So where is your shame? Where is that thing you can't move past? Where is that deep disappointment in yourself that you see every time you click through another birthday? I should be here. I should be somewhere else. I should be somewhere farther. I should have done more. I should have been more. Every time you click through an anniversary and you're looking at your marriage and you're going, this is, this is not, this is, this is not. No. No. I've not been the husband. I should have been the dad. I've, I've been the wife. I've not been the mother ah I've got the shame there's rest on my shoulders sometimes on both I can't get free Jesus says this is why I've come I know you're a mess I know you're a mess I wouldn't have come if you weren't a mess I know it doesn't change my love for you it doesn't change my care for you I've proved it I was willing to come and live life, that perfect life, you could never live. So I could take on the death you deserve. I would experience the consequence of your choices in ways that you wouldn't have to. going to be able to do that is to take it to the foot of the cross and then celebrate an empty tomb. Because the living Lord of the universe, one who died on the cross, was raised from that tomb, is still meeting people where they are, still calling them by name, showing them who they are, Still choosing them and sending them. He hasn't stopped. And he's ready to do that again, even today. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? All across the room. With heads bowed and eyes closed. full. Only God can see the, the shame carried in. And only God can lift it up and out. Here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want you to focus on God's amazing grace for you. I want you to focus at the self-same time on those things that keep you full of shame. And I wanna challenge you in this moment to gather up those things and give them. There are those of you today who've never heard his voice, but here and now he's calling you and he's offering to you the life you've always wanted. He says to you, come to me. How is that done? With confession of sin and the need of a savior. by an act of trust, by surrender of all that you have and all that you are, all that you've done to Christ. It comes with a simple declaration. Here is my life. You've given your life for me. I will give my life. There are some here today who are ready to take that step and I want to give you the challenge of coming to Christ right here, right now. I'll invite the pastors to come and take their places. I'll invite the band to come. And I want to invite you as I did the congregation last night and as I will in the congregation to come every person who is willing to let go of the past and take hold of the new in Christ, every person who is willing and ready to give their lives completely, fully, finally to Christ, I invite you to slip out from where you are, even with all these people. Just say, excuse me. Just say, excuse me, and come. Some of you, you've been away from Christ. You're a follower of Jesus, but you've not been walking with him. And today he says to you, not come to me. He says to you, come back to me. And I'm saying to you, we're here and we're ready to pray with you and to help you. Take that step as together we say. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.